that song is amazing as it brings us to the throne, doesn't it? And to the one who is worthy. If you have your Bibles with again today, um, we're going to continue on in 1 Corinthians. We're going to hit chapter 14 here today in the first 22 verses. I'm not going to read them from the start. We're going to read them as we go along. And uh, since it's 22 verses, there's only 15 points today, so we'll be going for quite a while. No, um, just being honest with you, it'll go rather quickly as we look at things. I call this um, a plain old sermon because what Paul points out to the people of Corinth here is that it needs to be plain. They need to get back to the basics. They need to get back to what church is about in the congregation. And he's going to point out some of their specifics again And uh, yes, we're going to talk about tongues a little bit today in different times. I'm always reminded of that when I think of tongues. Um, I'm reminded of my grandpa and my great uncles. I grew up with them not being too far away. Most of my great uncles were within 15 miles of us. And so they would show up every now and then on the farm and they'd start talking. And uh, they'd start talking in Norwegian and couldn't understand a word they were saying type of thing. And then they'd start laughing like crazy. You know, as they were joking around and things, and you would ask them, and I would ask Grandpa, I said, what is that in English? And he would say, it doesn't translate, is what he would tell me with things. Um, One of the things we're going to see here today is that when you do talk in another language, as we talk about tongues, we do need to translate it. We need to be able to understand what's there. And to some people, the Word of God seems like a whole other language. It needs to be made plain. And we'll talk about that as well. But let's start there in verse 1. We'll see, first of all, the plain pursuit. After 1 Corinthians 13, all talking about the love of God, that agape love. He starts out this chapter right there, and he says, Pursue love, yet desire earnestly the spiritual gifts, but especially that you may prophesy. But there's this first thing, this plain pursuit. Pursue love. He brings them back to what he's just talked all about. That's that important part, and they need to remember that. And then he goes on in verse 1 there. It's talking about to pursue, to follow the way of love, but eagerly desire those spiritual gifts. There's a plain passion here. You should desire these gifts that God gives, the spiritual gifts, the gifts of the Spirit. And then he says especially the gift of prophecy. So as we talk about this and we talk about the things that are going to be listed here and what he does the situation in corinth was they were pursuing these gifts but they saw certain gifts like the gift of speaking in tongues they saw that evidently as something that made them higher than somebody else and he wants to get them back to the basics what is the best gift what is most important is the gift of prophecy or the fact that god's word must go forth So let's ask that question first of all. What is speaking in tongues when it's talking about it here throughout this passage? Pentecost, Pentecost Sunday, brings us back to when the Holy Spirit came upon the people in the upper room, the disciples and those that were gathered there. And it says that they began to speak in tongues. But if you read that through correctly, those tongues were the languages of the people that had come in for Pentecost. And then they went out and they were speaking and the people couldn't believe how everybody could understand them. They could understand it was being spoken in their own tongue. And that was that gift of tongues, another language 
that's there. But we also see in Scripture that there's this idea of a heavenly language. Paul will talk about it at different times. But that language is meant to be a language that we keep in our prayer closet. It's meant to be something that's used to edify ourselves. Unless it's brought to the church, then you better have somebody who can interpret it so that people will know what it brings forth. And then it talks about prophecy. When you hear the word prophecy, what's the gift of prophecy? Some people think initially to what the Old Testament prophets had was the gift of foretelling what's going to happen. To foretell means to give a prophecy that's something that God will do. And God gave that message to many of the prophets throughout the Old Testament into the New Testament But we know that that one's been cut off because we're not to add or subtract to this word anymore that God has given us. But there's another part to prophecy that's a big part of things to go for that gift of prophecy is to foretell. To foretell means to explain God's word. To share God's word. Whether it be something devotionally we've read and to share it with somebody that way or whether it is to preach God's word. That's prophecy. To foretell it and to share what it means. Tongues are good, we're going to see. But prophecy is what God wants. He wants His Word to go forth. And even in the gift of tongues, it's something that needs to be interpreted so God's Word goes forth. And so we catch that as we go along. Now, down to verses 2 and 3. And in verses 2 and 3, I just want to read them for you. It says, For anyone who speaks in a tongue does not speak to men, but to God. Indeed, no one understands him. He utters mysteries with his spirit. You can understand that's that speaking in tongues for the edifying of yourself. But everyone who prophesies speaks to men for their strengthening, for their encouragement, and for their comfort. See, it's okay for us here to ask the question, why? Why does he say these things? Why are we to follow these ways? Why are we to desire these gifts? It made me think of an old, an old story that was out there about two politicians. And to make this fair with politicians, one was from party A and one was from party B. Just so you understand that, we won't go into specific parties. But the guy from party A and the party B were seated next to each other on a Flight from Los Angeles to New York, so a long flight. And the guy from Party B asked the guy from Party A if he'd like to play a fun game. And so the guy from Party A was very tired. He just wanted to take a a nap and sleep. And so he politely declined. He rolls over to the window to catch a few winks. But the guy from Party B persists and explains that the game is easy and it'll be a lot of fun. And he says, I ask you a question, and if you don't know the answer, you pay me $5 and vice versa. And again, the guy from party A declined and tried to get some sleep, but the guy from party B is agitated. Now he says, okay, if you don't know the answer, you pay me $5. And if I don't know the answer, I'll pay you $500. He ups the ante on the game. This catches party A's attention and figuring there will be no end to this torment unless he plays, he agrees to the game. And the guy from party B asks the first question, what's the distance from the earth to the moon? And the guy from party A says, doesn't say a word. He reaches into his wallet and pulls out $5. 
Doesn't know the answer. Gives it to the guy from party B. Okay, said the guy from party B, your turn. And so the guy from party A asks, what goes up a hill with three legs and comes down with four legs? And the guy from party B is puzzled. He takes out his laptop, searches all the references, taps into the airphone with his modem, searches the internet, the Library of Congress. He cannot find an answer to this. He sends emails to all his friends, his co-workers, but to no avail. And after an hour, he wakes up the guy from party A and hands him $500. And the guy from party A thanks him and turns back to get some more sleep. And the guy from party B is all upset now for not getting his question answered. And he's a little more than miffed. And he wakes the, re- wakes the, wakes the guy from party A up and asks him, well, what's the answer? And without a word, the guy from party A pulls out a $5 bill and hands it to him. Now, why tell a story like that? It's okay to ask the question here, why? We may not get fully the answer, but we do get the answer here of why these gifts are important and why God does what He does here. He says it right there in verse, verses 2 and 3. Actually, verse 3. When you speak in tongues, you, you speak to yourself. He's talking about that heavenly language and you edify yourself, but when you speak and you do the prophecy, it's meant for people, and it speaks to them, and it strengthens them, first of all. I looked at that word strengthen, and I thought to myself, boy, there's a lot of verses about God strengthening, isn't there? Joshua 1.9, God says, Have I not commanded you to be strong and courageous? Don't be afraid, don't be discouraged, for the Lord your God will be with you wherever you go. <laughs> said that to Joshua the people of Israel as they went into the promised land. In Exodus chapter 11, verse 2, in, in, the, in the song that is sung, it says, The Lord is my strength and my song. Deuteronomy 31.8, it says that the Lord is the one who goes before you. He will be with you. He will not fail you nor forsake you. He will, do not fear. Do not be dismayed. <laughs> Proverbs 3, 5 and 6 says, Trust in the Lord with all your heart. Lean not on your own understanding, but in all your ways acknowledge Him, and He will make your paths straight. And we could go on and on about verses about God's Word that is meant to strengthen us with His strength. And then that second word there was that it encourages. It speaks to men. It's meant to encourage 1 Thessalonians 5.11 says, Therefore, encourage one another, build each other up, just as in fact you are doing. These are the things that are meant to happen. The Corinthians are to see this, and they are to realize that that's where they need to go back to. (laughs) We used this verse last week from Isaiah 40.31. But those who hope in the Lord will renew their strength. They will soar on wings like eagles and they will run and not grow weary and they will walk and not be faint. The encouragement from God's Word keeps coming. Mark ten twenty seven. Jesus looked at them and He said, With man, this is impossible. But not with God. All things are possible with God. John sixteen thirty three. Jesus didn't hold back. He said, in this world, 
These things I've spoken to you so that in me you may have peace. In this world you will have tribulation. But take heart. Take courage. I have overcome the world. That's just the beginning of encouraging verses where God points these things out to us and reminds us. And then that last word is that word comfort. To bring comfort to the soul. To bring comfort in life. 1 Peter 5.7 says, cast 88.5% of your cares upon him and he'll care for you. I'm just checking to see if you guys are listening. It says, cast all your cares upon him. For he cares for you. Philippians 4.6-7, Paul would write, Don't be anxious for anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication with thanksgiving. Let your requests be made known to God and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Psalm 121, verses 7 and 8. The Lord will keep you from all harm. He will watch over your life. The Lord will watch over your coming and your going both now and forevermore. Comforting words. Words that pastors often use when somebody goes into surgery or is looking at something that's going on. He'll watch over you. Psalm 23, verse 1, The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. 2 Corinthians 1, verses 3-4, through 4, Praise be to the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of compassion and the God of all comfort, who comforts us in all our troubles so that we can comfort those in any trouble with the comfort that we ourselves receive from God. Did you know, note where all this prophecy comes from? <laughs> it comes from God's Word, doesn't it? And again, we could go on and we could spend the rest of our time here this morning just reading verses in that way. But let's continue on and look what he does and what he says here. Look at verse 4 of the text. In verse 4 he says, He who speaks in a tongue edifies himself, but he who prophesies edifies the church. <laughs> These things are meant to build up the congregation. To build up the church. And then in verse 5 of the text, he says, I would like every one of you to speak in tongues. Are tongues okay? Yes. It's not wrong at all. I'd like every one of you to speak in tongues, he says. But I would rather have you prophesy. I would rather have God's Word understood. The goal here is always edification. The goal is to build up the church, to build up the congregation. And that was the purpose of those things. One day, while they were bungee jumping, and we'll call these guys Ole and Sven, just for the fun of it. I know Pastor Lee wouldn't like me to do that, but I'll do it anyway. Oli and Sven, they were bungee jumping one day and, and they said, Oli said to Sven, he said, you know, we could make a lot of money running our bungee jumping service down in Mexico. So Sven thought about it. He said, that's a great idea. So they pooled their money together, bought everything they needed, the, the tower and elastic cord, insurance and so on. And they traveled to Mexico. They began to set up their equipment in the town square. <coughs> and as they constructed the tower... 
a crowd begins to assemble and slowly more and more people gather all around and to watch them at work. And when the tower's finished, the crowd is so large. So Ole says to Sven, he's, he, said, he said, I think it's a smart, it'd be a smart thing if we did a demonstration for them so they know what, what's, what's happening here. And so they, they climb the tower together and Ole straps Sven into the harness and Sven jumps and he bounces at the end of the cord. But when he comes back up, Ole noticed that he had a few cuts and scratches and unfortunately, Ole couldn't grab him before he fell again, and Sven goes back down again. He comes up bruised and bleeding, and again, Ole can't catch him, and Sven goes down for a third time. And by the time Ole catches him, Sven is nearly unconscious with a couple of broken bones. And alarmed, Ole says, what happened, Sven? Are you okay? Was the cord too long? Barely able to speak, Sven gasped. He says, no, the bungee cord was fine. It was the crowd. What in the world is a piñata? <laughs> Something's missed in translation there, isn't it? We don't always understand and things need to be explained. The importance of prophecy here, it needs to be plain prophecy. <laughs> and that leads me to verses 6 through 12. And as we look at those, we're going to see something here. And I'm going to use a big word that we use I never heard it till I went to seminary. It's the word perspicuity. Perspicuity simply means clarity. One of the things that we're taught is to make the Word of God clear. And the way to do that as a pastor is you spend a lot of time on your knees and you pray. And you read through texts again and again and again, and you ask the Holy Spirit to lead and guide and to show His Word. Look at verse 6. He says, Now, brothers, if I come to you speaking in tongues, how will I benefit you unless I bring you some revelation or knowledge or prophecy or teaching? These words of instruction that need to come need to be clear. <laughs> what profit, he says, is it? What good is it if, it if it's not something that you can understand? And then he uses a couple of examples. That first example there is verse 7. He says, even If even lifeless instruments such as the flute or the harp do not give distinct notes, how will any, anyone know what is played? <laughs> if the orchestra... Or the band does not have music to follow that is clearly put together and they just go all over the place. How can it be understood? How can it really be a tune? And then you go to verse 8. <laughs> that trumpet call needs to be clear for battle there. In verse 8 of the text, um, again, if the trumpet does not sound a clear call, who will get ready for battle? If we don't understand what it means, I guess this would happen during the Civil War. They had a whole bunch of bugle calls for different things. And if the bugler did not bugle the call correctly or you could not hear it, you'd have some people retreating and some people going into battle when they needed to hear what that call was clearly. And these are the examples. He's just bringing it out to them and he's reminding them, reminding us again, of these very things. And then verse 9, 
Unless you speak intelligible words with your tongue, how will anyone know what you're saying? You'll just be speaking into the air. It won't be understandable. <coughs> Excuse me. It won't be understood. And sometimes that's what happens. The vernacular we use isn't always understood. There's a story about a man that was walking through the woods one day and he stumbled on a preacher that was baptizing some of his flock in the river. And the guy proceeded to walk into the water and subsequently bumped into the preacher. And the preacher turned around and asked the man, Are you ready to find Jesus? He answered, Yes, I am. So the preacher grabbed him and dunked him in the water. He pulled the guy up and he asked him again loudly. He said, Brother, have you found Jesus? And the man, spitting and sputtering, replied, No, I haven't found Jesus. So the preacher, shocked at the answer, dunked him again. Which would be totally wrong to do, by the way. He held him under a little longer this time and he pulls him up again. He says, Have you found Jesus? And the man said, no, no, and he dunked him down. He held him under for 30 seconds this time. And the guy's kicking his legs and arms, and the preacher hauls him up, and the preacher asks again, for the love of God, have you found Jesus? And the guy, staggering in the water, gasped for breath as he wiped his eyes, and he grabbed at the preacher's shirt, and he said, are you sure this is where he fell in? <laughs> You see where we can ask the wrong things? It needs to be clear. Now again, I can't make somebody understand. Do know this, that even when we stumble with our words and we aren't as clear, the Holy Spirit can take those words and use them. In verses 10 and 11, he basically says, if you don't understand the language, what does it profit you? <laughs> Look at verses 10 and 11 there. Undoubtedly, there are all sorts of languages, Paul says, in the world, yet none of them is without meaning. If then I don't grasp the meaning of what someone is saying, I'm a foreigner to the speaker, and he is a foreigner to me. We're not selling things here when we sell the gospel, but we need to give it plainly. To teach the truth. Have you ever tried reading instructions to make something? Have you ever tried to read those instructions that are in the other language? We need that in our own language, don't we? It's part of the ministry that goes out today with things like Wycliffe and Lutheran Bible Translators. To get that message out to people in their language. And you can imagine what it was like in Luther's day. Can you imagine if I got up here and spoke to you in pig Latin the whole time? I'm not even going to try this morning with that. But can you imagine what it was like during Luther's day when the services were in Latin? And they were living in Germany and never knew what Latin meant. Can you imagine if I was up here and spoke in Swedish the whole time or Polish? We need somebody to interpret. That message needs to be clear. Look at verses, well, look at verse 12. It, it lays it down for us. 
Since you are eager to have the spiritual gifts, Paul says, try to excel in the gifts that build up the church. (laughs) That build up. He's just speaking to them plainly. (laughs) Don't get caught up with trying to be recognized in all the different things. Don't get caught up with trying to do things your way with everything. But look for those things that will build up the church. Verses 13 through 17, we see the plain prayer, the plain praise, and the plain thanksgiving that's needed. He says, For this reason, anyone who speaks in a tongue should pray that he may interpret what he says. For if I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. So what shall I do? I will pray with my spirit, but I will also pray with my mind. I will sing with my spirit, but I will also sing with my mind. If you're praising God with your spirit, How can anyone who finds himself among those who do not understand say amen to your thanksgiving since he does not know what you're saying? You may be giving thanks well enough, but the other man, the other person's not edified. (laughs) And then when we get to verses 18 through 22, it's a plain plea to them. As he lays it out, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than all of you. But in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. Brothers, stop thinking like children. In regard to evil, be infants. But in your thinking, be adults. In the law it is written, through men of strange tongues and through the lips of foreigners will speak to this people, but even they will not listen to me, says the Lord. Tongues then are a sign not for believers, but for unbelievers. Prophesy. Prophecy, however, is for believers, not for unbelievers. In 1 Peter 4, verses 10 through 11, as Paul said, he'd rather speak five intelligible words. In 1 Peter 4, 10 through 11, it tells us to go for those gifts, to use the gifts we have. Each of you should use whatever gift you have received to serve others as faithful stewards of God's grace in its various forms. If anyone speaks, they should do so as one who speaks the very words of God. If anyone serves, they should do so with the strength that God provides so that in all things God may be praised through Jesus Christ. As I'm in front of you today and I stand up here to preach, (laughs) the goal to preaching is not to be recognized. The goal to preaching is not to lord something over you. The goal to preaching is that God's Word would be clear. And that what Paul has shared with the Corinthians and what I share with you is just that simple thing that we need to get back to what God wants. He wants His Word that goes forward. And that to do its work. You know, as you talk about preaching, some pastors are said to preach longhorn sermons. There's a point here and a point there and a lot of bull between. (laughs) Hopefully that's not what's happening. Oswald Smith put it this way. He said, the world does not need sermons. It needs a message. You can go to seminary and learn how to preach sermons, but you will have to go to God to get messages. 
Now, it's not saying that we shouldn't have sermons, but the sermon better have the message of God. Mark Twain attended a Sunday morning service one time. He met the pastor at the door afterward. And he told the pastor, he said, I have a book at home with every word that you've preached that morning, this morning. And the minister assured him that the sermon was original. And Twain said, still held to his position. And the pastor said, Mr. Twain, I've got to see that book. So Mark Twain sent over the book later that morning. And when the preacher unwrapped it, he found the dictionary. And in the flyleaf, this, this is what... Mark Twain wrote. And by the way, we don't know how Mark Twain ended up. Mark Twain did not have very good things to say about God's Word and things that way. He made fun of it a lot of times. But in the, inside that he said words, just words. Just words. Our preaching is just words. It's not what God wants. He wants His Word to go forth and the Spirit of God to use that Word. In Matthew seven twenty four, it says, Everyone who hears these words of mine, Jesus said, and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. That's what our faith is built upon, isn't it? built upon this word. I like what Billy Graham said one time. He said, I've read the last page of the Bible and it's all going to turn out all right. It's here for us. 2 Corinthians 5.1 says, Now we know that if the earthly tent we live in is destroyed, we have a building from God. An eternal house in heaven not built by hand. Where's your house built upon today? Where's your heart? Is it built upon the Word of God that's true? Do you have a heart that is looking to Him and to Him alone? Are you trusting in what the Word of God says and tells us? Are you going to the cross where Jesus died? Let me close with this illustration and hopefully just bring it home a little bit. There was a 10-year-old boy who was failing math. His parents had tried everything. Tutors, hypnosis, but no success. And finally, at the urging of a family friend, they decided to enroll their son into a private school highly regarded for its high moral standards and its focus on supporting loving families. And after the first day, the boy's parents were very surprised when he came home because he walked in after school with a stern, focused, and very determined expression on his face. He went straight past them, right up to his room, and he quietly closed the door. For nearly two hours, he toiled away in his room with math books strewn about his desk and around on the floor. He emerged long enough to eat and then after quickly cleaning his plate, he went back up to his room and began studying again until bedtime. And that pattern continued until it was the end of the first quarter and the first quarter report card came and that little boy walked into his home with his report card 
unopened, laid it on the dinner table, and he went straight to his room. And cautiously, his mom opens the report card. And there, to her amazement, she sees a big A under the math subject heading. So they went up to their son. They, they go up top. They're overjoyed. They, they're thrilled. And they go up to their son's room and they say, Son, was it the nuns that did it? And the boy shook his head and said, No. And the father asked next, Was it the one-to-one tutoring, the peer mentoring? And again, the boy says, No. And surprised, the father continues probing. He says, The textbooks, the teacher. Was it the curriculum? And yet again, the son said, No. He says, but on that first day when I walked in the front door and I saw that guy nailed to the plus sign, I knew they meant business. (laughs) So many people miss today is when they see Jesus on the cross. It's something that's just something that they've heard about or it just becomes religion. But Jesus did come to this earth, did he not? Jesus did come and humble himself, became a man. And as fully God and fully man, he lived out his life. And he went willingly to the cross for you and me. Because it was what needed to happen to fulfill the price we couldn't pay. And after that, he not only defeated sin for us, he then defeats death. Rising again. I can tell you, that's the message that God wants. I'm not going to be able to get to 1 Corinthians 15, finish out 14, but I encourage you to look at 1 Corinthians 15 because the whole message of that is the resurrection. Paul brings it home to them, he brings it home. The plain old sermon of what we need. We do need Jesus. Father, Heavenly Father, thank you for your word. Thank you for having Paul write this letter to the Corinthians and thus to write it to us. Thank you for that. Help us to live in the truth. If we don't know You, to look to You and to You alone. To know that You're the only one to truly bring that forgiveness. That living hope. You do Your work, God. Get all the things that I've said otherwise out of the way, but bring it home, God. Thank You, O Holy Spirit, for using Your Word. In your name I pray.